Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Lay Film, where we review films in the cinematic industry that deserve a brighter spotlight. And today we are going to be reviewing the 1995 feature-length anime, Ghost in the Shell. And it is about a female government cyber agent and the internal bureau investigations who are on the trail of a puppet master, a computer virus capable of invading cybernetic brains and altering its victims' memories. And that is from IMDb. Now, um, today's episode, Patrick picked this film. So, Patrick, uh, yeah, you want to talk about why you picked this film? Yeah. Uh, Ghost in the Shell is probably my favorite film ever. It's my f- number one for personal reasons or just... You know, I'm aware there's probably better movies out there, and I've seen movies that are probably better, but personally, I saw Ghost in the Shell at the right age, and, like, it just takes me back to, like, being a kid in a Hollywood video and looking at movies and wanting to rent Ghost in the Shell, but you can't, and because me and my brother shared a pick and all that, and I can't convince him to watch Ghost in the Shell until, like, we finally got cable when I grew up. And then I used to watch just watch movies all summer, like Ovation, IFC, and all the movie channels, Turner Classic. And I remember like years passed since those days of Hollywood video when I was a little kid looking at the cover. And then just by coincidence, I turned on Ovation. They're doing an animation month, and Ghost in the Shell was on. I came in like five minutes in, and I sat there, and I remember like the montage sequence where I was... That was the first time I was like 12 or something where I was like, I know films could do this. It was like a big eye-opening moment for me. Like, yeah, you can sit there and do a mood with music and just visuals only and then go to something else. And it just really stuck with me. And I I love the film. I love everything about it. Yeah, that montage sequence is, oh my God, amazing. Uh yeah, you said it's your favorite film of all time? Yeah, it's personally, yeah. My number one. Uh, I would make, I'm like torn, I'm not like, I haven't dove super deep into like anime movies, but I've watched quite a few, like all the big ones, like Princess Mononoke, Spirited Away, and I feel like, I feel like Ghost in the Shell is like right neck and neck right now as my like favorite anime film. I loved it. Like the the soundtrack, the visuals, the animation was. I was like ahead of its time. Seems like oh, yeah. it's like handcrafted or just yeah, no CG or anything. There's all right. yeah. There's a lot of love and there's a lot of high concept side, and that's what I have a great appreciation for. Like just the premise itself is so out there, and the themes it touches on. Like I think people mm-hmm. say. It, it, I would say it elevated the genre, especially in the 90s. Yeah. I feel like it just made me think about, like, I had so many, like, questions about, like, life and the future and, like, your soul within, like, an 80-minute movie, which I feel like is pretty hard to do, you know, in such a short span of time. And its influence is, like, Matrix, there's, yeah. there's tons of stuff from The Matrix that you can see mm-hmm. in throughout the film. 
They like blatantly stole like multiple things. That's <laughs> when you do it with yeah. admiration. Yeah, it's not stealing. It's, yeah. Oh, I love it. And yeah, I think pastiche is the word I learned for that stuff. Because <laughs> yeah, you know, Matrix. Obviously, yeah, you can see the influences in this film. Um, it was definitely influenced by other like um, Asian cinema as well, like Hong Kong action films were blend in, blended into them. Or into the Matrix franchise. Um, yeah, I mean, this is my first time seeing this movie, and I didn't really know what to expect. Like, I know that it's a very beloved anime, mm-hmm. and um, I'm not sure um, the director, uh, Mamoru Oshii, I'm not sure what other works he's done. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> but I think he did a terrific job directing this film, like, especially from the animation standpoint. I thought that was probably the most mind-blowing and innovative part of this movie. Um, I think it still holds up, in my opinion, like all the action scenes and the editing is very, yeah, it's very, I mean, it's 80 minutes, so it's quick and, you know, some of the story kind of like flew over my head just because I'm still trying to pay attention to like er all the visuals. Yeah, there's like an it's like, there's almost an A and B story, even though it's not explicit. But it's like, who's the puppet master and Matoko's concept of this of herself is the primary story, and the secondary story is all the espionage, internal investigation, nineteen eighty four state they live in. But you brought up Mamoru Oshii. I wanted to say, he. People love the. Uh, he's. I've read the manga. Ghost in the Shell was a manga first, and uh, Mamoru she he creates the character of Matoko. He doesn't create her, but the one in this film is different than the one in the manga and the one it's all based on, or in the manga. I, she's pretty progressive in certain aspects. She's like a forward bisexual female police officer in this dystopian cybernetic future. But she's more like cartoonish and like hot-headed. Where he really he takes the concepts from the manga and he really creates his own thing in Ghost in the Shell in this film, which would set up all the films after that. Even though, like, yeah, it's just like a thing of. I think it was with the ScarJo controversy about the new live-action film. People are going back and forth on who's like, yeah, who's. There's the origin of the manga, but Mamoru creates his own, like, split off almost of the same thing. And there's the whole debating back and forth of, like, the ScarJo fit one or the other. Like, Scarlett Johansson definitely doesn't fit the manga's interpretation. But I would say in this film, she fits close enough to fit into the 1995 version of Matoko, as well as just acknowledging that Hollywood's not going to cast anyone that's not a big star for a role in a film like that well, just, yeah, my long rant tangent is Momoro she's great he did Jinro uh, Pat Labor 1 and 2 uh, Avalon which is the film I wanted to pick for the podcast but I just can't find a copy <laughs> you gotta pay a hundred dollars or something to get like a disc set or p- get a DVD from England or something but uh, no he has a great career track record yeah i think um like the um 
a few of the other films that I've seen by Oshi were you showed me Angel's Egg. Oh yes, Angel's Egg, which blew my mind because it's it's one of the I think it was created in some time in the eighties, and it's completely. I mean, it's for the most part dialogue free. And it's just created in this weird medieval dark ages town where everything is like cobblestone streets and then ruined like cathedral-esque buildings. And then you have like the shadow of like these whales like flying over the entire city. And then you have like these, is it like armor? Like like they're it's fishermen. Called, fishermen. Oh, it's fishermen. Yeah. yeah. And they're like constantly trying to like fire off at these creatures and stuff. But like. Just the animation style alone, it's so, like, free-flowing and almost mystical in a way. Like, it has, like, this glow to everything, and it's very slow and just contemplative. And to break off and do something like Ghost in the Shell, like, I think it was probably, like, around a decade later, or within that time period, it's such a shift... You say it's a shift, but there's there's like direct carryovers. I forgot Angel's Egg because uh, in both films, Angel's Egg and Ghost in the Shell, there's the Tree of Life imagery. He yes, loves, mm-hmm. as well as the feathers and the angelic and the Western Christianity influences, which it's unique to see a Eastern perspective on that. Like he's Anna would do it in the '90s as well, but he's taken in that stuff and he's given it his own perspective and using it as narrative devices in ways that we don't typically see unless it's like a Sorbo they're going to take our guns away Christian film. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I have a deep admiration for that as well. Yeah. Like it goes so above and beyond the original text of like just uh, a monotheistic deity and, you know, uh, people's interpersonal relationships with that. Like it goes far beyond that. It's just about spirituality and I can't even like, necessarily put it into words like the feeling that i had watching angel's egg because it's like although i didn't understand what was happening i felt it and the same thing goes with like ghost in the shell like i think that it it's such a massive difference watching that movie compared to angel's egg for me just because like it's so beyond in the future and it's not even necessarily that far beyond like compared to where we are now and because it's like that's a potential for what society is building up to and just seeing all of the <laughs> the systematic carryover <laughs> of a uh, like even just like our current day of like police brutality and oppression and tyranny it's like it's only amplified in this in ghost in the show it's very dystopian like yeah, if you have if your brain is computerized and your vision's computerized and your body's computerized, who's to say the government can't hack in, check this, that, and the other thing? Mm-hmm. They can, yeah. There's sensors on everything. There's sensors on the elevators, in the parking lot, on the roads. Like you were, you were constantly being monitored. Yeah. And uh, comparing it to another one of his movies, like you mentioned earlier, uh, Jinro, Wolf Brigade. Oh my God, <laughs> that movie. <laughs> I love his premises, like Angel's Egg, a young girl who carries around a massive egg, and her. It's the film's about her devotion to that and her faith in the egg hatching one day. Ghost in the Shell, it's a cybernetic police woman who debates if she's even human, 
And then Jinro, it's a militaristic police special forces officer, like a SWAT member in a dystopian future Japan, kills a young girl. Or no, a young girl does a suicide bombing in front of him mm-hmm. and uh, because he hesitated to shoot her. And he meets up with her older sister and develops emotions for her. And it's just like every premise, he just hits it out of the park of like, I want to watch that movie. I want to watch that movie. I want to see what this is about. There's so much um, depth for me in it. Yes. I, I find that there's so much a tension of the opposites in, in his movies where you have one extreme compared to the other and you're trying to toe the line between each of the two. And I find, I, I really want to watch more movies by him. But, I mean, like you mentioned earlier, like with Avalon, it's like a lot of his work, it's so hard to find. And it sucks because he, I feel like he's probably one of the most important, at least storytellers, within the past 30 years, even 40, possibly. Um, just because his concepts are so out there. Like, I... This perspective is so unique, and I feel like they're laying down the groundwork for stories to be told um, in the near future. I mean, they've already been massively influential. Um, I mean, we were talking about like uh, like Ava and like a few other works like that, where you can just tell that the ripple effects from these stories that Oshi has made even beyond Ghost in the Shell, it's so valuable, so valuable, and well worth the time to to engage in in them. I don't want to start getting there. Are you already getting the spoilers? I'm trying to... Um, Yeah, we could uh, give our ratings, and then we can just get into it. Shit, I forgot to introduce all our voices again. <laughs> but I'm Richie, but uh, yeah, I'll give my rating. Um, I'm kind of torn. I came into this film with just literally no expectations, uh, other than that I know that it's a cult classic. Um, I'm torn between a 3.5 and a 4, mainly because I think that the film just went by so fast. And I felt like by the time it ended, there was still, I felt like another 30 minutes was missing or something or, um, yeah, just sometime in like the last 15 minutes, I felt like there could have been more story in there, but I also understand that, um, I mean, there isn't, there wasn't a lot of demand for something like this, especially in the mid nineties for a feature anime and, um, yeah, and I understand that not a lot of people seen the movie when it did come out, and it became a cult classic um, after the fact. Um, I just felt like I watched the English dub version, so I felt like some of the English voice acting was subpar uh, from the lead. I I kind of had to warm up to her at first. Uh, I forgot um, the voice actress. Some. Um, blanking on right now um but the voice actor for uh Bato? is that how you say it Bato, Bato? Yeah. um i thought he was good it's just none of the voice acting really like captivated me i think that's what 
made me feel a bit disconnected from some of the characters. Um, perhaps if I watched a, the Japanese version, it would have been better. But other than that, I thought the animation was great. The pacing, the editing was fantastic. Um, you don't really get a lot of anime like this now. Um, I definitely see the influences. I don't know if it was influenced by Blade Runner, um, but when you see like the cityscape and like how dirty and grimy the streets are, and like and it kind of lends to the story itself and how violent and gritty um, uh, the story is, and um, yeah, it's kind of usually when you think of animation, you think of more like family friendly kind of. Uh, series, at least for me, when I grew up, I watched Saturday morning cartoons, and I just, just always saw that as like, oh, this is family friendly, but this is more mature content, and I think that was pretty enlightening to see. And I think I'd probably need to see this film a couple more times for me to truly appreciate it more. Much like, you know, a film that you brought up, Tyler, uh, Princess Mononoke. Like the first time I saw it, I didn't really, I wasn't blown away by it. I, I appreciate it the first time, but after learning about Japanese mythology and like um, how that's relevant to Princess Mononoke and, and, and to um, Hayao Miyazaki's other works, it made a lot more sense to me and I just liked it even more. And probably the same will go for this, so I think at the end of the day I'll go with a 3.5 and I don't see. The dub is notoriously bad. Like, especially in 1995s, it's, yeah. No, yeah, it is, every time I do rewatch, it is hard to, for the dub, especially with the, like you've said, you've seen the anime. They, they eventually get Mary McGlynn, I think. And she is the perfect voice. She, she's an innocence, and then I think she voices Matoko going forward. And she's, it's the perfect voice. And in a sense, it's the sequel? Yeah, but yeah, there's the sequel. And she also did the voice throughout the anime series. As, yeah, she has a perfect, almost vaguely androgynous voice as well. Compared to what we have in the 1995 version. I think um, the rating that I'm going to give this movie... Because this is probably the third or fourth time that I've seen it. And as mentioned before, it holds up. <laughs> uh, just in terms of like the different stages of the plot itself. There's so many like there's so many anchor points that I look forward to each time that I watch this movie. And I mean once we get into spoilers in a bit, like I I can't wait. Um but I think just in terms of like the atmosphere and how scaled down it feels, even though you're dealing with a large-scale metropolis where everything is interconnected, and just the just the genuine humble hum, I guess humility that uh, Matoko has just in terms of, like, debating whether or not she's human or a cyborg. Um, I don't know. It, it really touched me the first time that I saw it, because I think it was, like, back in high school that I first watched this movie. 
where I was like scrolling, like I was going out of my way to like look for lists where, uh, you know, there were, you know, top ranking like anime films. And of course, like, uh, you see like Akira on there and like a few other movies. And this was like one of the ones on there. And when I saw it, it just felt so different because I didn't really like Akira. Like I didn't really like it at all. Um, I liked the animation style and I liked what it was building up to, but then the ending just like, I don't know. It seemed too. it seemed like it was trying to say too much with too little time. And with this movie, like Pat, you and I were talking about it earlier, like just in terms of like how short the movie is mm -hmm. and how it just flies by. And I love that about this movie. Like, um, I feel like had it been given more time, it might have lost a bit of that edge for me. So I think all in all, this movie holds up since the first time seeing it. And I'm going to give it a 4.5 out of 5. Uh, only because the dub. <laughs> Just because the voice acting is, is a little... But at the same time, it's like, it feels robotic. and Which is why I give it a pass. And I don't know, I appreciate it. All in all. It's such a goddamn good movie. Um, I'd say the same thing. I was, I think I'll give it a 4.5 out of 5. Uh, yeah, like, the only problem I have with it is the dub. Like, especially Matoko's voice actor. Like, I remember just thinking, I like, it sounds like she's literally just reading off, of, <laughs> off the script. Like, <laughs> with, like, no emotion sometimes. But it's easy to get past to, and I kind of want to watch it in the Japanese subtitled version. I think it probably would even I think just the translation is probably I'm sure it's a lot different too. But um yeah, just the animation was like stunning. Um I think it's probably like yeah, the most beautiful animation I've ever seen in an anime film. And then there were so many quotes too from the movie that stuck with me that just like raised so many questions like Bateau one time, I think what does he say? He's like Every piece of information processed by humans is, or it's just memory, it's just a drop in the bucket, yeah. you know. Um, there was just so many, so many lines in the film that stuck with me, and the philosophical questions it raised too. Uh, I just like how much it make it made me think about life and being human, and I think it's just really cool, like. Cool and scary because it seems like such a realistic future for us, you know? But yeah, I, I thought it was a great film and I'm really curious to watch the rest of that uh, storyline. I didn't really have a problem with the ending either. I think I wish there was a little bit more, but I think they set it up for like, you know, they have countless films after, right? Or they have the second one at least, I know that. They have a second film by Oshi, which is really mm -hmm. also really good. And then the series kind of do their own thing, but it's the same universe, same characters, just the stuff that happens in the movies didn't happen. It's gotcha. a different, yeah, same characters, different world, kind of. But yeah, I give it a 4.5 out of 5. I was like, I was pretty blown away from just watching it one time. I'm going to give it a 5 out of 5. <laughs> Ghost in the Shell's my favorite series probably ever it's just such i love everything it says on like the surface as well as under the surface like the 
Ghost in the Shell 1995. There's like a there's an there's an espionage angle, internal police corruption angle, but then the deep stuff is like the what does it mean to be human? Can there be artificial life? Is there sentient sentience outside of the human experience? I'm like, oh that's great. Innocence more of the same, even more philosophy. And the TV series get more geopolitical with the concepts of like individuality, uh, ideology. Like if your brain's hackable, can you be hacked to have an ideology? Or are ideologies themselves a type of virus that's a natural one that occurs? Like, yeah, when people are made extremists, are they made extremists naturally through thoughts and free thinking? Or can they also be hacked into thinking extremist views? And once brains get cybernetic, cybernetic and all that stuff the show just goes right into a whole what happens if that line gets blurred even and you have like shadow organizations creating extremists for their own ends and stuff it's just it's all high concept stuff that i just love about the series and like the whole cyberpunk genre that like you know blade runner's doing its own thing or ghost in the shell's doing its thing with stuff that interests me Although the new series are not good from my experience. <laughs> so skip Arise and skip the Netflix series. It's just a Blade Runner ripoff from what I've seen. And uh, check out all the old stuff. That's good. Yeah, and with that being said, um, yeah, it seems like we all gave it a positive review. Um, if you haven't seen the movie, you can actually watch it on... Amazon Prime, if you have a subscription, and there are two different versions. Mm -hmm. There is the original, and then there's the the remastered 2.0. But you recommended not to watch it? Skip the 2.0. They just... I don't know what the exact motivations were, but when they made Innocence in 2004, I think they went back and they added CGI scenes to the original movie, as well as changed the color. I want to say they did add some scenes, but I don't think it's anything that will change the narrative significantly. And it's just, I think a part of it may have even been like a gross, like the matrix came out. So they changed the color of the film a bit to be less green and less black and more its own thing where it doesn't need to do that. It came out first and it's yeah. its own thing. Yeah. Like, yeah, I just, I'd highly recommend skipping the remake. said um i do want to talk about the introduction because i think that the introduction to this film was really fantastic it was gripping um i love the espionage elements and um us seeing matoko um using the camo technology to assassinate someone mm -hmm. i thought she was an assassin or something i was like I don't, I don't really understand what's going on. Like, is what, I don't know, like, is what she doing, like, 
morally ethical. Like, I don't understand, like, the whole situation. Um, so he just blew this guy's, like, brains out. She blew and, an American ambassador's brains yeah, out. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess he was trying to help this hacker, right? Or someone get political it's, freedom or something. I, I, yeah. I have to say, the whole story just, I did not understand the story at all. Like, I did not. I think that's why I felt like if it was 30 minutes longer, if, you know, I don't mind longer films. I don't mind like watching an anime epic if it gives me more layered information to work with. Maybe I just had to do more homework outside of this film, but I just felt like once it was over, I'm like, I don't understand like there's section six and there's section nine. And so if, if section six I guess, did they create the Puppet Master? And, like, I think they're trying to kill or, like, salvage the Puppet Master or Matoko. And, but then, like, how did, how did Bato get away? And, like, I don't know if, if everyone's being watched and how, how are they not being, like, surveillance or caught? I, like, I, I don't know. Some of the story just kind of, I felt like there were some gaps that were missing for me. This is one of those films, like, Rewatching it multiple times because yeah. the first time you do watch it, you're more you're focused on Matoko and her yeah. arc and story. It's like the third or fourth viewing, you go like, "Oh, the the opening scene where the ambassador's trying to get this, he's offering uh, asylum to this programmer from the gov- the Japanese government." It's revealed later on that he's a part of the team that created the Puppet Master program that was made just to entrap people and just essentially just manipulate politics and wars even behind the scenes to secure their funding as well as like people's careers and political positions of power. Right. So that's why it led to um, even like, I guess, the lower class people like the garbage men. Yeah, to be kind of entangled in that web and how their memories were, um, yeah, manipulated and falsified. Yeah, that aspect was really great. Um, yeah, there's just some really beautiful moments. I think maybe the reason why I'm a little softer on it is just because, yeah, I just felt like there were some gaps that I just couldn't figure out. I'm like, well, you know, if this is such a like highly technical world now you know I, i'm not i'm not sure like when there be a civil war between section six and section nine or like are they on not on the same side or like what's going on or like i don't know what do you guys think so yeah it's, a, it's one of the vaguenesses of like there's no clear cut right or wrong yeah, it's, it's like morality like kind of not present in that world i'm not sure is it more like about the politics or that to me that's where it gets like dystopian like like when people say like like big brother governments and all that they often it's like full authoritarian like there's stormtroopers on the corners mm-hmm. where ghost in the shell is like a perfect example of, like she's she's being introduced killing a foreign ambassador just for like trying to take a programmer away from their government yeah and it's just yeah there's like she has no ethical quandary with that and she has like a kind of a creepy smile on her face when she's floating away, like jumping out of the building. And I was like, that's really creepy. (laughs) I thought I was like, whoa, that's kind of sublime. Like, cause I understand that she is like cybernetic. So 
I don't know if she was smiling because she was actually like enjoyed that moment or I didn't I just didn't get it like what was the purpose behind like her expression I didn't I was, see but isn't that great that that moment yeah, is created like such ambivalence yeah, inside I was like, of you I was like going on I was like whoa I did not expect <laughs> this fucker to just explode right oh, yeah. now that was fucking was that with like awesome. a P90 just like yeah. oh god it's so brutal just like one bullet thing and then his fucking head just like, <laughs> it's pretty brutal Corey for sure but yeah, it's like, yeah. And when I think of like a more like Hollywoodish video or film, it'd be like. It'd be feeding it to you, like. Or like, know, a, like making it easy. Not even that, but like just a similar intro, they would have more. Like, I think the 2017 Ghost in the Shell is this issue big time where there's clear cut, good and bad. And like, it'd be a guy who's like a swirling green type dude. Like, oh, we grind up the poor and we feed them to the community. It's great. And then she'd kill them, and we'd be like, yes, or no, it's, it's more vague and gray. And a lot of, like, you said she's she has the artificial body. A lot of the film, they do, bring, or they do bring up the fact, like, they don't even own their own bodies. She doesn't blink throughout the film unless, like, it's to close her eyes to protect them, which is a great detail they did. And, she, yeah, like, it's great, like, the morality of, like, what if it's right or wrong, they, like, explode this dude this foreign ambassador like seems small scale and like they sit there and they're talking about the fact that neither her or Bato own their own bodies if they ever wanted to quit being tools of the government they'd have to like give up essentially everything except for their spinal column and then use whatever money they had to try to buy another artificial body and like it's essentially impossible it's like their bodies are like F-18 jets and their careers are tied to that. Their so, continued lives are tied to their career success. So for me, I'm wondering, um, so there's, she has like no autonomy in the film or like, is that what it is? Like since she, I don't know if she really is, but if, if she is contemplating her own humanity, then she kind of does have autonomy, but then like, her not having autonomy is because she has all these, um, well, she's a, a ghost, right? Like, um, she's a cyborg. Yeah. I, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Like, cause there are a lot of scenes where they're showing her like nude and naked, mm-hmm. but like, but it's not like, we're not seeing it in the male gaze. Like we can't sexualize her because she, I don't know. She's not really human, but kind of is and I don't know what the film is trying to say about it that's okay. what I'm trying to get at like because there are a lot of scenes like that and it's very beautiful but like it's beautiful and I don't know in a thought provoking way but I like that it's not very sexualized there's this one quote that uh, <laughs> Matoko has and it goes there are countless ingredients that make up the human body and mind like all the components that make up me as an individual with my own personality. Sure, I have a face and voice to distinguish myself from others, but my thoughts and memories are unique only to me, and I carry a sense of my own destiny. Each of those things are just a small part of it. I collect information to use in my own way. All of that blends to create a mixture that forms me and gives rise to my conscience. I feel confined, only free to expand myself within boundaries, which ties in with 
my favorite scene in the entire movie, which is like where Matoko's going diving in her spare time. Mm. And, you know, Bateau's asking her about, you know, what I've never seen a cyborg go off and do this during their free time. And I mean, you mentioned it, Richie, like where, you know, like for a good majority of the, I mean, for, there's a lot of scenes where she strips down and like gets rid of like all of her like uh, armor, like clothes or anything like that. And it's just so detached. And it's strange because Matoko's having like this, this war between her ghost and the shell that her body is made of because the shell is replaceable, like a hermit crab almost. And so she doesn't view, like she isn't worried about what other people think about how she looks or anything like that. And Pat, like you mentioned, like where she doesn't even blink because like only to protect her eyes and stuff. And that just goes to show like how expendable she feels her body is which I believe is the reason why she's having so much um, tension between her physical self, like her body that she ha- that she's housed by, and then her actual ghost, which is like, in essence, a form of like uh, what we would know as like a soul in a way, or like consciousness, because when she's when she's like diving down into the water. I don't know. It's it's just so it's just such an existential feeling of disappearing into just this huge ocean of consciousness. And Bateau asks her, he's like, Oh well what about it do you like? She says, When I float weightless back to the surface, I'm imagining I'm becoming someone else. And then she chalks it up to it's probably the decompression. Which is, once again, her being at odds with the physical world and what she feels inside. And I just love that balance. I love it so much. And, yeah. Rich, you touched on the nudity, which is it's very present throughout the film for Motoko. And it, it's one of the things that makes the film a bit hard to recommend sometimes to people. Like, check out this movie and, like she gets naked essentially naked right away early on and it's like okay i see what kind of movie this is but like the core meaning of it all is like yeah her her body's distinctly like an autonomous object to be used for her own gain like it's a great scene where she even damages herself trying to do something and like yeah she so she has no connection to it so she doesn't mind she doesn't mind essentially get naked and there's a great like non-spoken dynamic with bateau where he's clearly crushing hard mm-hmm. and he just like every time, like she goes predator mode and turns invisible, she takes off her armor or jacket, and then like anytime he shows up, like right away, he just like throws his jacket on her to like give her modesty, like project modesty onto her. And this body she doesn't care about, and like it's a great theme throughout the show. Where, like they clear, like they care deeply for each other, but Matoko's such an individual in her own person. She's not gonna be like you never get the like locked in feeling that they're going to be together at all. Like it's not a possibility. She's her own person completely. And like, yeah, where he's grown like an attachment to her. She's pretty much detached to her, her own physical self. Yeah. Like she has an attachment to him and she does, she views nothing wrong. Like when she apprehends the criminal and like, she knocks him unconscious or breaks his arm and she's standing there. He comes up and throws his jacket on her shoulder. And it's like, clearly like, it's like a visual expression of his 
feelings towards her, and she's just so much like she doesn't even notice it. And it's a great bit of she cares more about the them as consciousnesses or people beyond what their bodies are, including herself. I just love that aspect of the character. It's like a strong. It's like a juxtaposition of like, oh, this, I think she's a really strong female character. But when you like show people scenes from the film, she's naked and running around. And you're like, it's just like a hard sell. I always want to acknowledge. I guess for me, like... It's not sexualized, it's like, like you yeah, said. Yeah, and it's, it is not sexualized. So, like, if it is harder to sell to certain people, then I'm just saying, like, well, there's, there's something wrong with you then because the film is not trying to do that. Like, it's obvious, right? Like, it's not showing her in this voyeuristic view where oh, you're not supposed to look, but I'm looking and I'm satisfied by it. No, like, she does it out in the open. She's very detached by it. So I feel like, yeah, maybe it says more about the person who's viewing it and saying, oh, I can't watch this. But it's like, you're not looking at the whole context. So I, I think um, an, another movie that this reminds me of, like, just the fact that, you know, Scarlett Johansson was in the remake of it, I would be more apt to compare this movie to... I mean, if I were to bring up, like, a newer movie, like, Under the Skin, because in the movie, her character is just so detached from the body itself that she just doesn't have a problem with, like, luring people in to this, I mean, to this machine, pretty much. And she used, she recognizes the importance of um, sexuality in terms of, like, uh, just of it being used as a tool. And, but at the same time, she doesn't like indulge in it because it doesn't even, it's not even a factor to her. And I think that, that the same thing can be said for Matoko in this movie, because it's literally just a tool to her. And if it gets damaged, she'll replace it. Like it's no big, it's not like, she doesn't even think twice about it. Especially like, like the one scene in the ending, like she just... The tank scene, yeah. Yeah, she she's like, oh yeah, if I end up losing this arm or anything, like it's I don't I don't even it doesn't matter to me. It's so it's like it's like a World War Two film. Like picture the same scenario, like a tank. They have no guns, no means of damaging it. So they someone gets a crowbar and they run and they get under the hatch and they're trying to pry open the hatch to get at the drivers to stop the tank. Like Matoka does the same thing. So okay, I gotta use my artificial body to try to open the hatch, and like the crowbar breaks, and like okay, that's that. And then from Matoko's, oh, my arms and legs are shattered because I was doing all I could to open it, and the crowbar broke. Essentially, is what she feels like in that moment. I'm like, oh damn, mm-hmm. oh well. It's like she has no like, oh my arm, my leg, oh Jesus. It's like, oh god, the crowbar broke. Shit, the tank's still rolling around. What am I gonna do? <laughs> and yeah, it's like so. It's just. I can't even know. Maybe I haven't seen this uh, under the skin. But, like I, I have trouble thinking of other films that that's have it. A, so. I think that's a really good comparison that you brought up. It also made me think of um, that Netflix series Altered Carbon. Uh, I, I haven't seen it, but I, I'm aware that um, they, them, they changed actors in season two, but it's supposed to be the same character. From what I understand, oh yeah, I don't know if I'm mm-hmm. correct on that, but I'm I'm wondering like if they did this similar thing where like uh, because she is only like she yeah she can be transferred to like another physical like body, but I'm wondering like you know if that similar thing happened where she had a completely different body, would people be upset? And I'm wondering like 
would that be an upsetting thing to see? Uh, like, you know, she has her signature purple hair yeah. and those big eyes. But what what if, you know, she didn't have all that anymore? And she Are you talking about, like, um, in the, the world of the actual story? Or are yeah. you talking about, like, uh, us as, like, fans of the... Uh, of the probably both. Probably both? Because I've seen how, peop- how upset people were for Archard Carbon. See, but, like, that concept, like, I feel like it's a bit harder to sell when it comes to uh, live-action stuff, because, like, we get so attached to, like, the nuances of, like, certain characteristics that uh, people have in their performances, Mm -hmm. whereas, like, it makes total sense, though. It's, like, because it's such a callback to what this movie is even going back to. It's, like, no, like, there are ghosts. And then yeah. you could tr- like you could literally transfer your consciousness to any single body. Like even in the ending scene, like because I'm sure that we're like already heading into spoilers. Like yeah. if we already have like um, where Bateau uh, links up Matoko's uh, ghost to the, the tank driver's brain to serve as like a mediator between her and the puppet master. It's like oh, so you can just transfer consciousness just like that. With, I mean, and even though the tank driver is, like, almost dead yeah. for the most part. Like, he's, he's pretty much brain dead by this point. Um, I feel like that's where it's going after is being able to just the... I just think it's terrifying <laughs> how, how quick and seamless it can all be of just transferring your entire soul into another shell. And I feel like what you were saying with, like, Altered Carbon, and even with Under the Skin, because it's, like, I feel like it, that's, a, that's it's a bit hard of a concept to, to fully embrace if you haven't experienced it before, which is, I feel like, another uh, hang-up that I'd imagine people might have when it comes to watching this, this movie, is because, I mean, I feel like this movie doesn't do it uh, as nearly like in your face as like altered carbon does. Cause that one, it's like, boom. Okay. This is, you're still the same consciousness, but a completely different body that we have to get used to and different voice and everything. But with this one, it goes beyond that in terms of just transferring it into a machine. Yeah. I, I, they do explore that stuff later on, like in the sequel directly, as well as like, I just want to fanboy out real quick that like, in one of the TV shows, you've seen the Tsunami one? Uh, only a couple episodes. I, I watched it in passing. But, like, there was one where it's, like, a taxi driver-inspired episode where she takes on, like, a escort's body to, like, befriend a helicopter pilot for the elite and find out, like, give him a psychological profile because they suspect him. Because they are being constantly surveyed. Like, his readings are raising a red flag somewhere, so she's brought in to befriend him and, like, determine if he's an actual threat or he's just, like living out power fantasies in his mind and all that. Like, it's just, yeah. I, I love that you brought that up. They do, they do address that aspects later on. And, but as like fans, like there's been a big, yeah, there's a lot of debates and a lot of people have said about different entries and all I mean, that other stuff. Because we're talking about how she's detached from that. And that's the whole I, concept is, yeah, with it, there is this consciousness that you can transfer, but I, I think people get too hung up on like, the external stuff, like the the surface, like oh, I want her, you know, I want her to always look like that. I want her to always have that signature purple hair and that perfect body, and like, but then at the end, she has like a child's 
body. Oh now, yeah, you the know? dark. That's so one like, doll. <laughs> yeah, so she's kind of like this, you know, child now, like in a way. That's one of those great um, under dark undertones of the film. Yeah, like in a future like that, it's like, got a black marker body, and like, why does it look like a ten year old mm-hmm. in like a Lolita dress? <laughs> this is dark, right? This yeah. Is yeah. Dark and but also it fits in the theme. We haven't touched it on it a great deal, but the the main theme music of like the film, the chanting, mm-hmm. it's a oh that's yeah, the music so is good. oof but so it's, good yeah it's a wedding song is oh, it I saw that yeah yeah it's a wedding song I think it's I think the lyrics may be Bulgarian or maybe just I feel like it's kind of fitting for like the end. Yeah, because at the end she's she's she, put into like a black market, disgusting child's body. But vis- thematically, it also works as to signify signify that she's no longer Botoko or the AI that gains sentience. She's a new individual, and she's like the child of those two things. Mm-hmm. And like for that one scene, it's just so. Like, there's a lot of things like tee it up, not explicitly, but like the music is one of those things. Where, oh, it's the song's about two people coming together and the film ends with like the new life created from those two people coming together. And it's just, I love that part. <laughs> it's all great. The film's so, it's so fast paced and it is short and condensed, but it, it's so tight. Like there's the only stuff that feels kind of wasted. is just cause the delivery of the lines is so bad by the dub specifically like the, Togusa, the city beat cop, he's barely robotic. He carries around like a six shooter. It's like, oh, it's like a reference to the Western, dirty, hairy, old school police style. It's like him. But like the way he says the line and all that, you just. It just hurts. Oh, yeah. But like everything serves a purpose, but it's like, it does. Even rewatching it again, it's still like, oh, I get it, but yeah. why does he say it's so weird? It's like hurting the enjoyment. Yeah, because I'm just imagining, like, I just. Imagine if Taxi Driver, if Robert De Niro did not like knock it out of the park it's just it wouldn't be held as the great film that it is you know um and that's why maybe i couldn't get into it at least at first like i really love the intro but just when people start talking just uh i couldn't get attached to them and um yeah even some of the other characters like the uh that cop that she also works with who she uh he he mentioned that she recruited him because yeah. he's like a Togusa. Togusa, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's his name? Togusa. Togusa, yeah. Um, I wanted more of that. I'm like, oh, who is he? You know, like I really liked uh, Bato, but I wanted more of those relationships. I but... think I think the second movie delivers yeah. on that, <laughs> With, especially between Togusa and Bato. Yeah, aren't they partners in the second one? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, like, if, if you are interested, like, if that element of the movie piqued your interest at all, definitely watch the second one. Definitely watch Innocence. I don't, I don't want to spoil anything, but... I... Oh, yeah, I'm definitely... <laughs> I mean, now that we talked about it, I definitely feel like I appreciate and like the movie more in our discussions, and um, I think it's just because I literally just go into this... Like, when we pick our movies, I just go into it and just watch it. I don't... I don't want to dig too much because I don't want my expectations to be, um, I don't know. I don't want it to be influenced. Mm -hmm. I just want to go into it and see how I feel about it. But I'm starting to get more of it now that we've talked about it. So 
And it is one of the films I think that needs like, multiple viewings or like time to simmer or you have to look, like yeah. I never would have known that the theme music is about a wedding and all. I, I had to look that yeah. up. Once you do know that, it's like, oh, okay, it has a new layer of complexity and depth. The first time I watched it, I barely picked up anything. I barely got the montage. I barely yeah. understood the rebirth aspect, the, the child aspect. Yeah, maybe maybe that's where I was at. So I probably just need like way more time because I think it is ahead of its time. And me watching it now, like I'm thinking, like, yeah, I probably need to simmer on it for for a while. But yeah, do we have any closing thoughts? I definitely am more interested now in watching uh, the sequel and and maybe the Scarlett Johansson version to see like how Watch it failed. Watch the <laughs> skip you skip the Scarlett Johansson one, skip Arise, and skip the Netflix one. But but now that you brought up Under the Skin the film that she was uh, Scarlett Johansson was in I can see why she had an interest in wanting to do Ghost in the Shell mm-hmm. I think it came out before yeah it did mm-hmm. Under the Skin yeah it came yeah. out before so I can see why she can connect you know similar ideas and say hey I want to make this film but then like trying to commercialize it was probably not the best idea but then again like you can only make a live action Ghost in the Shell if you commercialize it because um, you wouldn't do it justice. I don't think. Has there been any like good live action uh, adaptation of an anime? Oh, that's a really good question. Like Dragon Ball was terrible. <laughs> I know. Uh, again, Moro she wrote Jinro Wolf Brigade. I know he directed. I think two films, and there's like probably five other live action ones that are oh, supposed really? to be pretty good like the red spectacles and some other it's about like the police state they live in and all that and just dramas and that I think those may be passing but I haven't seen them Detective Pikachu <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Sonic that's the answer. <laughs> one of the greats I guess, I guess if we're talking about like American adaptations like if Hollywood tried to adapt a, you know a foreign property I can't really think of anything that they've yeah. done to like you know, serve the the original stories, like, concepts, like... Well, yeah, I think the problem is, is that, like, you know, you get, like, especially if Hollywood's trying to adapt all these, uh, these foreign properties, they tend to shovel in or shoe in their, their own voice. And, I mean, almost, like, from a U.S. perspective. And it's, like, you can't do that, because then, like, you're, you're, you're treading on the original ground that lay down everything and it's not going to have the same perspective or it's not going to go for the same exact type of feeling you know that was the greatest sin of the ghost in the shell remake was that it didn't feel like it didn't feel like a ghost in the shell film and they did put in a very american like identity politic aspect to the film where it's yeah the film always had that already and was exploring it what i felt in like a deeper way about like if you have an artificial body, what is your relation to that? Where they they kind of address the whole whitewashing of the character. They address it in the film itself, and it's kind of like I see what you're trying to say, but it's very like not pedantic, but it's like very dismissive, or it's missing. The film originally was touching on those themes, like with the uh, 
artificial body that Puppet Master creates has the pale, like, paper white skin, paper white hair, but it's identical to Matoko. Mm-hmm. And it's like a whole thing of, like, the commercialization of the... The artificial bodies are... They're designed by someone. They don't look like the person prior. They There's something about them that's inherently market marketized and all that. Like, even... Or even, like, the live-action one, I thought they were going to go the angle of uh, addressing, like, the perception of white is the most desirable, or, like, Scarlett Johansson herself being the character is, like, address the fact, like, all the white artificial... All the artificial bodies are based on still the predominant idea that, like, white models, white European-descending models are the desirable traits to have. Therefore, people are getting those bodies instead of what their ethnic origin is. Mm-hmm. The film doesn't do that. They do some kind of vague thing to that. But, like... I feel like it's, if... It's just very, like, oh, here you guys go. Are you happy now? I was like, no, this isn't anything good enough for what we wanted. You think they didn't go hard enough? They didn't go far enough anywhere. Yeah, yeah they... I, I feel like just from watching some of the previews on it, like it seemed like it was playing it safe for the most part. I feel like that's why I, why I haven't watched it. Just because it, it doesn't seem... I'm a spoiler right now. Go for it. Motoko in that film was actually a young Japanese girl whose consciousness they took and they made her a police officer. But she was like 14 when they kidnapped her and it happened to other people. Which is like... Like... When the series give her more backstory, it's revealed that she lost her physical body when she was like four years old in a plane crash. And it was like during the early concept and the experimentation of the methods. So she doesn't have conscious memories of being a young woman or girl. That's why she feels so detached from her body is what they say in that. But to have like a 14 year old be like mind wiped and all that other stuff. Like it's a bit, yeah, it's a bit of a stretch, especially when the shows explored that territory in the past in better ways and all that other stuff. Man, I don't think it's a bad concept or bad idea. Um, from what you're describing yeah. and I've heard that they did that and so that's why they're explaining why Scarlett Johansson is in the role yeah. and like I guess she meets like her mother or something and they're supposed yeah. to have like an emotional moment but then I, I heard that it doesn't work or it doesn't land it, because like I, no, it, on like a surface level concept like a, a separate entity or entry or, or series it, it's a good it's a good enough concept and it works mm-hmm like for the Ghost in the Shell standards, maybe it's me as like a nitpicking fanboy. Yeah. But it's like it, the series has done more in the past already. Why aren't you yeah. doing more now? Right. And you're not doing more. The bar is so high that you're kind of you're skirting beneath it. It's not like a American Akira where they're changing names and making like a Harley Davidson game and like completely <laughs> going against the vision. <laughs> Like, you know, oh it's God. it's kind of in line, but, like, it's not hitting the same heights. And yeah. for that, I resent the film, and I resent the controversy, and, like, all the negative connotation the series has gained from it. I'm sure that's what they're trying to do with Akira, is they're trying to make it, like, that TV show, Sons of Anarchy. It's like, oh, let's just take this Japanese concept, but totally Americanize it. Let's make them this gang, this, you know, uh, white supremacist gang. Let's do that instead. There's, <laughs> like, a vintage, like, young hat like Newgrounds Harry Partridge animation when there's like the talk of the American Akira script mm-hmm. he made like a little two minute animation of like he has Canada has a like American flag jacket they all ride Harleys 
He's like, my name is Canada. Book, Walker, Cheney, Washington, Jefferson. <laughs> so, so, like, the whole, like, it seems so bad. Like, the yeah. idea of trying to adapt that to a Western audience. Because I right. think, that, didn't the original American Akira script leak a bit? And, like, it was set in L.A. or something? I, I believe it was supposed to be set in, like, uh, New York. Okay. But like, like, yeah. I don't Off even the know bat. That, or that, yeah. did they try to? And they just it never went through. Yeah, they wanted to have Keanu Reeves. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, of course. They even bounced around that idea, or, like, maybe Shia LaBeouf, maybe. I don't remember, but um, it's supposed to be along that kind of vein in New York area, but I don't know. They probably scrapped it. Yeah. Um, I mean, they had uh, Taika Waititi attached to direct it at some point. I think even Jordan Peele, maybe. But, I mean, oh. who could even... <laughs> I don't know, like, who could even do it? And if they were to do it, like, like you said, it's it's hard, right, to like, grab that culture, like that, uh, and just westernize it? I don't know. It feels, do, like, it do feels they, like you're doing a disservice to westernize it, though. Yeah. If, if you, you could do a Hollywood version of Akira, but you should go to Japan and film on site and get actors from there. Mm-hmm. But, like, when they start, like, immediately, like, it's in New York, I'd, like, it just roll my eyes, like... A part of the films, like I haven't finished the manga of Akira, but I know it's about like their nationalistic past and all that, and the war and militarist past and all that stuff, and it touches on those themes. Or you you put it on America and especially Hollywood, like oh, it's in New York. It's like immediately we're not getting any of that. We're yeah. not getting a yeah. deep full, deep commentary about militarization or anything. See, now I understand that if they were to do it in New York. They could still do a good blend of both worlds because New York is very, um, it's super populated and there's potential for like way more diverse storylines there. But I don't know, knowing Hollywood, they would have like, (laughs) yeah, they would absolutely, I think they would whitewash most of the cast for some reason. I don't know why, even if it's, it takes place in like New York, Detroit, Chicago or whatever, for some reason they still do that. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure why. Or and there was there was Bright. Was it Bright? I'm thinking of the Will Smith movie. Uh, no, it's not. They essentially did make American Akira, but it's just its own. It's four friends who come across an alien artifact. Oh, oh Chronicle. yeah, Chronicle. Yeah, Chronicle. Oh yeah. yeah. So, oh yeah. One of them, they all get telekinetic powers, and it's just yeah. oh, it's like Akira, but they're doing their own thing. So I immediately respect it much more, even if it's yeah, not good. Yeah, I mean, Chronicle is pretty good. I mean, but. It's like service level, Akira. I mean, there is potential there, but yeah. I gotta say, I agree with you. Like, that's, I feel like that's the way to quote unquote remake something is to like just take a concept that you enjoy, but to do it in your own way and kind of build upon the ground that's been laid down for you to explore upon as opposed to. <laughs> being like, oh well, I want to do my own version of this, and it's like it's like doing a cover of a song and not changing anything about it, but it's just your voice singing it instead of the original. It's so like I I can appreciate the value in that if you're just doing it for fun, but if you're like trying to do it to like in a commercial aspect, you're literally just abusing and exploiting the original work. Because you know that people will come and see it. Uh, and I disagree with that so much. Because it's... 
it's not creating art for art's sake. It's creating it for a whole other nefarious purpose. I don't know. It's, it seems very underhanded to me. My dumbass went and saw Ghost in the Shell in the theaters, and yeah, it just felt like, <laughs> yeah. So I, I had to go. I felt, compl- like you said, like, oh, i such a fan. I have to go see it. And I went there, and I came out. I was like, yep. <laughs> I don't know what I expected, yeah. but. I can only imagine since you love this film so much that you at least want to see somehow, like, they salvaged <laughs> at least some of the good ideas or concepts and turn it into something worth redeeming yeah no i was like, like i guess i was full into it i was like almost i was like on forms going like guys we haven't seen it yet it's gonna be good <laughs> it's probably not gonna be good but like i have i have high hopes <laughs> or maybe it'll bring attention to the original film and people will watch it just yeah. write it out guys and then i went and saw it and i was like fuck <laughs> i mean i'm part of the problem i mean I, off the bat i think the film had a lot going against it because of the casting of scarlett johansson and like the controversy of like them making her photoshopping her to look more asian apparently i don't know if you guys heard they about did debate the... doing that which is like, yeah apparently that's such that's such a red flag like just lean into it scarlet don't lean into <laughs> like yeah this... oh i forgot about that oh jesus <laughs> <laughs> you buried it so deep <laughs> doing... yeah it's like works the studio was experimenting with like digital blackface to make the actors yeah. come back and it's like so, no yellow <laughs> yellow face still exists and you know blackface and all i mean yeah like the fact that they even toyed with that concept of yeah it's like just hires like yeah, choose a different actress yeah or they could have chosen a, a biracial actress someone who is half japanese and half white and explore that um that line of like yeah. where do you belong you know yeah how do you what do you call yourself in that future like i mean or I'm is sure it th- even a thing that's even talked about still yeah even like oh yeah that yeah I think if they wanted to explore that, they could have done something like that. But then again, I understand they needed star power. But then again, I'm sure there are plenty of actresses in Hollywood that would fit that bill, you know. Um, but I don't know. Or even like just taking taking more risks, like even outside of like the casting, just like like I keep thinking about confessions <laughs> because especially because of the how risky it was. And how it was supported. And it's like, I can't think of a Hollywood version of Ghost in the Shell being supported in the way that the original was. Or a Hollywood version of Confessions if they were to ever try to do a version of that. Yeah, like you wouldn't see all of the strange ongoings that take place in this country that just get glossed over because no media outlet pays attention or chooses to air it. And I don't know, it's such, it's so infuriating because it's like, I'm so torn about remaking things because it's like, and on one hand, it's like you have like all these, you know, if we were to go back to the greats of like storytelling, it'd be like Shakespeare and all these ancient tales and myths. And it's like all of the things that we have made since then have been kind of like an homage to, to all those stories in the past. So in a sense, we're just remaking the same thing over and over again, but using different voices and perspectives to build upon that and explore those grounds. And with Ghost in the Shell, it's like as much as I would want 
to see a live action version that does it justice? Is it necessary? And I don't think so because it's like the original holds up. I mean, and I really want to watch the sub version because I don't even know why I didn't watch the sub version this time around. I think it's because I, I just couldn't find it for some reason. Um, it's part of the pain. You gotta take your lumps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I fucking love Ghost in the Shell. Like, just everything it has to say about what lies in the future and just interconnectedness almost to the point where it takes away from our own autonomy to the point where, I mean, even when Matoko and Bato and everyone, like when they're going through like their different, um, missions, they all just communicate through like this net. Oh yeah. Nonverbal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're just thinking to each other essentially. Yeah. Like that alone is so terrifying to me because in a way it's, it's relieving. Like it gets people to share their most, to share what what it is that they want to say without it being misconstrued or misunderstood in any way. But at the same time, all it takes is like this frail, this frail structure that you've created to fall down by the wayside at the hands of like some hacker who was bought off by some government entity just to derail this mission and maintain the status quo. Like if you were to scale that down, even to, you know, let's say like an ex wanting to get back at, um, at this person that they're still in love with by like just wreaking havoc on them by, um, emitting like this small EMP that like fucks with like their, their vital functions of like some cybernetic implant. It's like all this stuff is just so, <laughs> no, yeah, there's great things to be like, like next level gaslighting if you're mm-hmm. capable of altering her memories of your guys' experiences together. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember, oh, like, oh, it was so perfect, like, us being together and just implanting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, the subsequent series would explore themes like that, which is like, it hits really well. It's like, yeah. The manga created such a rich environment and then Oshi took that environment and he made such a film I love, this great film with it, that like, it inspired like people to take the people who inherited the property after it had like the deepest admiration and they fully explored themes of like, there's just so many great, like there's an episode where an AI police squad car essentially sneaks out of the garage and has the mind of a child. Cause it's like a new AI and it finds a young girl looking for a dog. And the whole episode is just like a young girl in like a SWAT car <laughs> driving around the city looking for a lost dog. And then the girl reveals that her dog died long ago and she wasn't ready to accept it. And then both the computer and the girl grow more mature in that experience. And they have like a childhood experience together. And it's like this vague thing of like, it's a car. It's like a, essentially a one person car, <laughs> but like it explores deep things and it has, it loses an emotional oh. reaction. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> there's been a yeah it's, it feels like a rich series but it's lost its way recently but I just have the deepest admiration for it and like it is so crafted I feel I feel like uh, before we conclude I, I, I do want to mention um, or I guess I want to ask um, is the puppet master supposed to be like Matoko's like opposite are they supposed to be like yin yang because 
the puppet master did say like, oh, well, I see myself in you or like you're, you know, um, because, well, especially considering that the puppet master has like a male voice, but then he's inside a woman's body, a blonde haired woman. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking like, are they supposed to be, I don't know, like, is there a duality there? Definitely. The, the body he so, enters, yeah. yeah, the body enters as well as like directly her body, just different hair and mm-hmm. skin slightly. But I think a big part of it is like her yearning to, her yearning to uh, know what, I know what it is, but like her ability at hacking the net and all the other stuff as well as just her innate desire to find out like the meaning of her life or life and self. Like, is she herself and all that, that mirrors with this new AI creation that has like infinite resources and like power in that regard, but it doesn't have the human elements that she has in great levels is I think what it was. Yeah. And she's the, she's the sitting there philosophizing like, am I myself? Am I human? What does it mean to be human? How do I prove it? And this one's like, I have all the, technology and resources but i'm inherently not human and i'm aware of that yeah and but then and because he or i don't know if i can call it he or she or whatever but it wants to be human or like because they realize that mortality and life is um something they want to they want to achieve right i think they even die i think it's like a sacrificial it's like the the ai program itself dies and matoko kind of stays maybe well, I mean, because she even mentioned, like, oh, I'm not Puppet Master, but I'm not Matoko either. Yeah. So they, yeah, they probably both kind of died in rebirth, in a way, into this other being. I mean, I think that resembles why, like, she has this new body, but, like, of a child. Yeah. Like, it's her voice and not his, exactly. But yeah. his big thing was talking about the desire to, like, he just wants, is this sapience or sin? Yes, no, he he has sapience, but he doesn't have, like, lineage or the evolutionary mm-hmm. factors that others have. Yeah, because he was talking about, like, uh, like reproduction and death and, yeah, variations in the reproductions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he even says to, I believe he says it to Matoko, where he's like, your effort to remain what you are is what limits you. And I think that, as you were saying, like, uh, Richie, were, you were asking, like, if they were supposed to be opposites of each other. I think so. I think, but not entirely like in a yin yang type way. I think more so in for what he lacks, or for what the puppet master lacks, Matoko makes up for, and for what she lacks. Yeah. Like mere complementary things. Yeah. I think that's why. Oh, sorry. Oh, it's all good. Yeah. With like this main score being like a wedding, it's like just like a merging of two souls. Perfectly. And then, like, even afterwards, like, where um, they do meld and they create this new child, they, uh, this new entity goes on to say to Bateau, oh, yeah. and where does the newborn go from here? The net is vast and infinite. I do want to touch, right before that as well, her, when she has the first, on the boat, she has the first exchange with the puppet master, and then she later delivers the line, like, a. Uh, it's a verse from Ecclesiastes, and it's, uh, when I was a child, my thoughts and actions were those of a child. Now that I'm a man, I no longer have a need for such childish ways. 
and I want to say Ecclesiastes is like an ancient, it's a part of the Bible, but I want to say it's about, it's like a stoic slash how to live a virtuous, true, fulfilling life or like the, the ideal being of life as like, yeah, when he was a child, he was a child. Now he's no longer a child. So he's not a child. It's just like a lot of, like, the, I think there's still the debates about the man-child syndrome and in the infancy of our society. And, oh, yeah, like the puer. Yeah. yeah. And the puella, yeah. But yeah, it's deep philosophical, deep philosophy roots and just even biblical roots. That Maybe was, even mythology as well. Yeah. The angel imagery when mm-hmm. the puppet master shows her the capabilities of his whatever it is. Almost mm-hmm. feathers. Ooh. Feathers, feathers coming down from mm-hmm. the tank scene. Woo! The angel <laughs> silhouette on it. And it's, it's just so... It's like a unique take on all that stuff. Like, like some people may even view that as like blasphemous. But to this outsider to our culture, it's like, oh, this is... The concept of angels are striking. So I want... He built the film to be that. Like, you don't even see it. You just see it so wet, but it's so striking. I just... I love Oshi, Oshi's work. It's so good. <laughs> He's top five. I could gush for hours. <laughs> I think it's just a movie that, like, in time, like, even, like, 50 years from now, like, it could be something that people look back on even more and be like, wow, like, this was really ahead of its time because we are, like, Elon Musk is talking about, like, Neuralink or whatever, putting, like, wires through people's brains to pretty much, you know, like, take the next step into, like, this world of Ghost in the Show. So I think just for that alone... I think this movie will always hold up, whether it's now or even like 50 years or even like 100 years, you know? I think that's a really solid point. Yeah, I mean, this movie came out 25 years ago? Yeah. And the, I think the original, like, Mongo's Mongo's the 80s? Like the late 80s? Late 80s. So yeah. More than 30 years ago that the idea was thought of. Yeah, so, dang, yeah. So people have been contemplating these ideas for a long time, and they're slowly like coming to fruition. And I think mm-hmm. you're right, Tyler. Like this is something that down the line, yeah, in fifty hundred years, like this is still something that we're gonna look back, or you know, our kids, or you know, people who are hopefully gonna still be into cinema, <laughs> gonna look back and think, wow, yeah, this film is still relevant. So with that being said, um, do we have any closing thoughts? I think that I, I think I'll give this movie a four now that we had this conversation. <laughs> so I feel like I'm getting more of it, and I still need to watch it like a few more times. But I think for my closing thoughts, um, I really enjoyed our discussion. Um, it helped me realize this what the story is trying to do, and uh, it makes me way more interested now and. In, I would be upset too if, uh, you know, I grew up with this material and then for it to be bastardized in Hollywood. And I'm glad that this exists and we can just preserve this version. And uh, my closing thought is uh, we didn't touch on everything. So we could just, yeah, probably sit here for a long time, just like almost scene by scene. I'm just talking about like the espionage or just the music or the. A montage. The montage in the middle. We barely touched that, but 
It's just another cycle. Talk yeah. about that montage for an hour. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, I, th- I think we got the core themes. Like, like we spoiled it kind of, but not really. Like, I'd, I'd still say watch the movie. Like, I just hope our discussion, even the spoiler parts, like, we didn't... Yeah, we didn't even get much into spoilers. Like, yeah, yeah. we might have revealed, like... What I happens guess, at the end. Yeah. It's like, like the exoskeleton of it, but it's, like, not the inner yeah. workings. It's not like a twisting, turning movie where, like, you get surprises left and right. It's, like, an experience. And I think even spoiling it doesn't hurt the overall takeaway or experience. Because I, I rewatch this at least once a year. It's just every time it's, like, the same feeling almost. And so I just hope more people watch the film because of our little episode and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, I suggest, I would suggest anybody to watch this movie, especially for anyone who's not, uh, specifically into anime. I think this would be a good, like, intro into anime, even though it's so complex. But it's also, you can just watch it and just be entertained and enjoy it just by, like, the visuals and the story. But then everything that comes with it, with the philosophy and just, just, like, what could happen in our future world is what's so interesting to me about it. And yeah, how it just, it just holds up and I think it'll always hold up. Like we've all been saying. So it's just a great movie. Great movie. Yeah. I think, um, Tyler, you bring up a really good point of like it being like a very good jumping off point for anyone who's been wanting to get into anime or if you're wanting to show somebody, um, any piece from, that type of medium, I think that I agree. This would be a very solid jumping off point because I, I've met so many people where I try like telling them about a movie or like a show or something. And I am like, Oh yeah, you know, it's, it's like this. And they just immediately, you know, side eye me or something like that. And they, I don't know, they, ca- they kind of cast it off purely because of the medium that it's, that it was created in. And I think that that's, that's such a cheap way of dis- of discounting something on your own biases. And I think that if you have an open mind or are wanting to, uh, I guess, toss around the idea of having a more open mind, <laughs> this would be an incredible movie to sit, let it wash over you for a few days, and then just think about some of the concepts that it plants inside of you because I feel like they are all very important topics to think about because they're either coming, they're here or they're on their way. Um, and I think that when it comes to technology, there is a certain imbalance that humanity has and is currently dealing with right now where we're given all of this access to immediate gratification and we have so much power with with information online now and all this stuff but we don't really grasp the ramifications of it all of giving up privacy of uh maintaining on autonomy and maintaining this sense of self uh amongst the net and i feel like we have a lot of thinking to do and a lot of inner work that we have to deal with before we can fully, I guess, evolve into whatever the future holds 
you know, if technology has a large hand in that or not. But if it does, I believe that technology has so much more power than, I mean, at, at this stage, at least, humanity is not capable of even grasping in a fr- at a fraction of, of what it can actually offer to us, if it's used for good. And I don't know, I feel like morality is definitely a thing that needs to be uh, thought about more, especially in terms of technology and that relationship. And this movie does an excellent job of doing so. And uh, thank you, Pat, for recommending this incredible totem of a film. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, and with that being said, um, that concludes our episode of a review of Ghosts in the Shell. Definitely see it. Uh, Yeah, like we we all really like this film. Um, Yeah, like everything Kevin said, it's it's magnificent and it's a classic. So yeah, and stay tuned for next week and definitely subscribe and follow us on Spotify and iTunes. Uh, Keep the reviews coming and yeah, I'm very happy about like more and more people are tuning in um, to our podcast and uh, yeah, just keep them coming and yeah, that's it. All right, later everyone.